right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, before we get rolling on today's pod, which we had a lot of fun discussing, how do you, I think I even had a better time researching this one, reading through old quotes. We'll explain the concept of the podcast here very shortly. As for us, we've been pretty fortunate here in Florida. We've been able to play golf over the last couple months, albeit safely distanced. Uh, we know that hasn't been the case for everyone. The National Golf Foundation has reported that courses in just about every state are now open. Callaway knows that many golfers just now getting your season started. If you're in the market for some new gear but can't or if you don't want to visit a store or course, they've got a great new distance fitting program where you can get signed up for a 30-minute complimentary fitting over the phone. I can't speak for everyone here, but I can definitely say that fitting uh, has helped my game tremendously. DJ's handicap is still somehow on the rise despite some great equipment improvements, but I think we can attribute that to the manipulation. But if you're getting new equipment, getting fit for it is extremely important. So uh, if you want to, schedule an appointment via callawaygolf.com slash distance fitting. A certified master fitting expert can help you get dialed into some new sticks like the Maverick Driver, the Jaws Wedges. They'll even help you decide between Chrome Soft or Chrome Soft X. And speaking of certified master fitters, our very own Tron Carter went through Callaway's certification process back in January. And if you want to, you can leave him a message on our voicemail with a fitting question, and he will answer it on the air in a future episode. So dial us up, 1-833-330-TRAJ. Again, 1-833-330-TRAJ. If you want to schedule a Callaway distance fitting, go to callawaygolf.com slash distance fitting. Let's get to the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I wish I would have saved the DM. Somebody reached out to us asking for a podcast on some of the best carnage events in golf history. I love the idea. If you are the one that DM me, shoot me another one. Say, uh, come collect your prize, which is this podcast. So, uh, Solly here. Neil is here. Hello. TC is here. Greetings. Big Randy. Good afternoon. DJ Pie. Aloha. Uh, we have scoured the annals of uh, the game and come up with not necessarily the most obvious carnage ones. If we leave some out, we'll do an honorable mention at the end. How about that? Uh, but kind of collecting some nuggets from five different events throughout the year that have featured carnage in some way or another. I don't know how you guys all interpreted it. We will find out that shortly. I think we're gonna gonna span some different eras and uh, different tours, I believe. So uh, you know, and we felt bad. We left the big guy had to start his last book report an hour and a half into us recording. So we're gonna start with him and uh, take us to wherever you want to take us. Well, do Wait, we need uh, uh, up front? We need to recognize one that's not going to be touched on here, which is the 2016 Players' Championship and the round by Ken Duke Correct. on Saturday. The 65 by Ken Duke on Saturday. Sir, Just, that was the obvious Sir one. Sir Ken Duke now. Sir Ken Duke, God be, save the largely Queen. Largely because of that round. Um, it was a total... We're to revisit that one. It's been a while since we explained that one. Yeah, I never I never really understood <laughs> it to begin with. What's there to understand? Was well, he English? He of was course. <laughs> He's English. Has he been knighted? Uh, no, not yet, but he's well on his way. <laughs> and he's you think the, just uh, because of that round, he should be knighted? Absolutely. Yeah. And he's also not English. But <laughs> doesn't he seem like he should be English? It's kind of that England or Alabama thing. Kenneth Duke. He, he's from Arkansas, though. Kenneth Duke. He's, he's so, you know, he's just the name connotes like... What have they done here? Royalty. Yeah, he's... So that one we felt was too obvious. Nobody actually Correct. dedicated their afternoon to yeah. to going through that one. But that is probably the greatest carnage round. Mike Davis we've ever himself, 
Uh, well, we had a mole on the plane sitting right behind Mike Davis, who was talking to some of the PJ Tour uh, setup guys on the phone. Specifically, uh, Andy Pastor, I think. <laughs> well, I was trying to keep names out of it, but uh, <laughs> apparently, was talking to them, and he's like, "Oh, this was not, come on, this wasn't that big of a deal. Like, you guys don't have anything to worry about. This is, you know, this is nothing like '04 at Shinnecock. What we had to deal with that was that was bad. That was way worse. You guys didn't lose the golf course. You didn't do anything. It, it was all good. So, anyways." Randy, that feels like a, a very natural transition. Yeah. Shout out to KB. Well, I just wanted to say I, I've always held the Ken Duke round in such high regard until I pulled up the wiki page today, and Hideki shot 67 that day. I think that's that, two strokes worse. That's, that's, that's worse, but I thought Ken Duke blew the field away by like seven. I thought like nobody got within. I think Duke you remember Ken Duke was also too. like 46. I know, but I'm just, all, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I thought it was like Furyk's 59. No, it was it against was, the field average. was field average was way up, but like I thought. 76 or something, right? When Furyk shot 59, no one got within seven shots of him, I think, which is probably one of the largest single round variances in tour history. And I, oh. I, in my mind, that's what I thought Ken Duke was. Well, that's why you should never verify this kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Also, shout is out that to more fun? Yeah, no. Hideki for he seeming to ball out in in tough years at the at the players. Exactly. This he, year he won the players this year. He sure did. Well, I mean, it wasn't a tough year. It was probably the easiest day I've ever seen over it, there. It was. It was a tough scene. It was though. a tough. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us there. Shall uh, we where get we into going? it? Yeah. Well, well, let's go to 2004 Shinnecock. I think uh, in my mind, that's my first association with Carnage, and I'm sure a lot of people. It's near the top of their list when they think of uh, carnage events. So this is the 2004 U.S. Open, Shinnecock Hills Golf Club. Uh, It's playing as a par 70, just under 7,000 yards. Let me start out. What what do you guys remember? Let's exclude the final round because we're going to get into the final round. What do you guys remember about rounds one through three? Mr. TC. Spencer Levine. Spencer, what specifically – just everything about it, the ethos. Uh, was it round three that he had a hole in one? I don't know. Was he ripping heaters? <laughs> he was ripping heaters. He, he was an amateur. Sh- he had that floral shirt Wasn't on he? one of the days. The floral shirt on. He had the visor on. Do you, anybody else? Shinnecock? Well, I mean, what you said no final round, but watering the greens is. That's is what I was going to say. I think there's an sure. iconic image. I, I think it'd be cool if everybody, if you could think of one. Well, that, Phil had the four putt on. Number seven. I don't think that was final round. That was an uh, no, earlier. That round. was Saturday, okay. I believe. Then when, that's my last. When did it? When the iconic video clip you see all the time is them just stopping play and the guy coming out with the hose yeah. on the green. So that's Sunday. So let's Sunday. dive in. My my point is, and you guys are you guys were a good audience with this. Is the first three rounds were pretty tame. Um, the first round leaders were, excuse me. Uh, Angel Cabrera, Jay Haas, and Shigeki Mariyama all shot 66 uh, in round one, four under. Just like Mackenzie Hughes. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, TC. I also want to point out this is the same scene uh, 14 years later where the course was on the edge, and then they lost it. It's gone. Exactly. Of course. Uh, round two, you know, some more 66s out there. Mickelson and, and Retief both shot 66. They jump into contention. The 36-hole lead's actually at six under. It's Mickelson and Mariyama um, are tied for the lead. I always, when I see his name, I always pronounce it now like Elk uh, okay. pronounces. <laughs> Me and Shigeki Mariyama, we're the ba. <laughs> uh, so that's that's this why is I'm brilliant, Shigeki. Exact, exaggerating that name. Uh, Jeff Maggart. I know Neil, you were a big Jeff Maggart fan. For sure, he he's was, a flusher. He was just one back, and so then we get into Saturday, and this is where the course starts getting tougher. Uh, they've they've turned the water off apparently, um, but still in round three. Did we have a wind switch? 
much like this year. We're that, gonna, that's yeah, where it seems like yeah. these kinds of things happen. Yeah. Uh, so round three, there's another 66 out there. Everybody's favorite, Tim Clark. This was uh, pre... Everybody? Well, <laughs> pre-anchor band, so he's still, oh, okay. you know... You remember when we saw Tim Clark at the uh, Hibachi Grill? I do. And Hilton Head? Yeah, I do. That's By the night of our first board meeting. Yes. That's wild. He was getting wild over there. <laughs> <laughs> Throw the strip in my mouth. Ah! Uh, sake for the, for the South Africans. Yeah. Um, so there are seven people. Heading into Sunday, there are seven people under par for the tournament at the 2004 U.S. Open. So now let's get to round four. Everything changes. Uh, DJ, as you said, the wind shifts. I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have certainly been there. I, I have not, but I believe the prevailing wind is south-southwest. Sounds right. When Maybe. We, when we summer in the Hamptons, that's where it usually comes <laughs> from. Don't, don't, I don't know quote if that's me prevailing, there. but that's what we prefer. Yeah, don't. <laughs> no, I think and, and that's not down, important. I think it comes down the beach, like west to west. I know, I guess south to north, like from the city out towards Montauk. Yeah. I know the day south. I played yeah. there. It was coming out of the east, which was the opposite wind. So 10 was directly into the wind. 9 was directly into the wind. It was hard as shit. Okay. It was like, All right, this is even harder than normal. To, to your point, it was a completely opposite wind on Sunday, and it was dry. It was a dry wind. Um, which would make sense coming from the southwest, right? Opposite of the southwest. Or op- a dry wind would, 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 be, would come from the west or the like north, north, northwest, or north, northwest. I think maybe. Yeah, I wind. I'm, I'm sure people will correct <laughs> us uh, in in the uh, mentions. Wind Twitter is going to be in your, <laughs> yeah. in your ass. Um, okay, so let's let's play let's play a guessing game. Sixty six people carded scores in the final round. Final round, U.S. Open, sixty six players. How many scores were eighty or higher? Twenty two. Nineteen. 30. I'll, 25 was the number in my head. Well, if we're going prices right, DJ wins, but Neil is closer. Uh, there were 28 scores of, uh, of 80 or worse. On a par 70. On a par 70. Jeez. Our highest on the day is Billy Mayfair, who shot an 89. And that's only the ones he counted. <laughs> uh, that I is one. who it was, but somebody recently was doing a fake commentary on Billy Mayfair. They're, they said... Uh, Oh, and Mayfair hits a great shot to eight feet, and he converts the six-footer for birdie. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh really hard. So Billy, Billy, uh, Billy shot an eighty-nine on Sunday, one worse than Bogey Golf. Uh, finishes the week at thirty over par. I think that's that's one of the things that always sticks with me about Shinnecock is it's not it's not a bunch of triples and quads. It's just bogey, bogey, bogey. Double, bogey, double. Getting hit many, many times in the head with a hammer. Uh, amateur, Shea Reve, Ches Reeve, shot an 88. He was he was second worst in the... But he got right back up. In the he got right back up. <laughs> Oklahoma drill. He got pancake. Back on the line. Get up, Reeve. Get up. This is the You're first... tired, son. This is the first 15 minutes of Rudy. Oh, <laughs> sir. This was before they had... This was before any sort of concussion protocols had been enacted. Boy, do you want to be here? Take a salt tablet, Chess. Get back on the line. He's in the steel mill at this point in the movie. Uh, My boy's playing the U.S. Open. (laughs) I love you, Dad. I only play for you, Coach. Maybe my favorite. uh, Ernie Ells shot a final round 80 and still finished tied for ninth. Wow. Okay, so the scoring average. 
78.7. Oh, my God. Which was fractionally less than, I believe, the 92 Pebble Beach U.S. Open for the highest uh, final round scoring average in a U.S. Open. I don't know if that's been... Par 72, probably, at Pebble Beach as well. Yeah. 71, I I think, that year, but yes. And I'm not sure if the 92 Pebble Beach still stands as the highest final. You know, I don't know if Wingfoot or or another U.S. Open since 2004 has... um, Maybe Oakmont or Wingfoot would be the two that come to mind. I can't think of anything else that would be that that bad. Um, so just a couple other stats. Uh, players hit less than half the fairways, so the combined uh, total driving accuracy was less than half on Sunday. Uh, they hit about a third of the greens in regulation combined as a whole group. <laughs> and what and for I, I'm a sorry. benchmark? Fairways is in 60, 60s normally? At least. But, I mean, okay. yeah, we're literally talking about the one of the best fields in golf. Yeah. <laughs> Not hitting less than half and less than a third of the greens. It, and I have to correct myself. It wasn't the 92 Pebble Beach Open. It was actually the 1972 72. Pebble Beach U.S. Open. My fault mm-hmm. there. So I think the most iconic scene, you guys touched on it earlier, is the seventh green, right? The par three, seventh hole. The Redan. It, it is a Redan. That's that's exactly right. It, so on Sunday... DJ would like me to point out he made a two. So. <laughs> no, you don't have to do okay. that. That was supposed to be awesome. You, you looked at me and said two, so yeah. I assume that's what you meant. And then he looked at me to see a little twinkle <laughs> in his eye to see if I saw that. Well, well then this is good. Was it a two for one? Probably. Probably, yeah. Where was the flag uh, that day you played uh, it? Was, it was like a pro-am. It was right in the middle. Okay. <laughs> so again, I don't have a right, great... It was kind of low left. Pro-am or a Ryder Cup, either did, one, yeah. Did you use the kicker? Uh, it doesn't really, really kick. You didn't really need to, yeah. So you guys helped me. The pin was placed, by all accounts, kind of front right, and the whole Redan slopes like front right to back left, meaning there's like no way to stop the ball once it is like gonna on the green and rolling. It's just going to keep rolling. Come up short and roll back to you or roll away from you. Or back off the green. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense, having played the – Total sense. Okay. It basically is like Max's eagle putt in strapped. It's basically <laughs> yeah. like how you would have to make a putt. <laughs> So uh, of of sixty six guys, uh, just on the whole seven specifically, there was one birdie all day. Would anybody like to hazard a guess? One birdie, Retief. We said his name already. Chez. Tim it Clark. Was, it was <laughs> really? Chez. Yeah. That's awesome. No quit in that guy. No way. Uh, there were twenty seven pars, thirty bogeys, five doubles, and three others. And what's crazy, the number seven only played as the fourth most difficult hole um, on that wow. Sunday. I, when I was out there, uh, what was it, two years ago when they had the yeah. U.S. Open there? I was there Saturday, and I stood at that tee, next to that tee box for, I think I watched six or seven groups come through, and they were all just, they all just seemed so stressed out on that shot. Like, Tyrrell Hatton came through and changed <laughs> oh, clubs like four times and just with his caddy was like, he just you know, stressed. So fun, fun place to watch guys get in their process. So just uh, one more thing, and then I want to get into some, some quotes. So Sunday, Kevin Stadler and J.J. Henry are the first group uh, out the, that day. Purple Mamba. The Purple Mamba and the Little Walrus. Uh, they both make sixes on number seven. So they're the first group of the day, first ones through number seven. Uh, they both put it into the bunker. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to some of their quotes in, in just a second. The The next group through is Billy Mayfair and I believe Cliff Kresge. I, I believe Cliff makes a six, another triple bogey, and Mayfair gets out of there with a bogey. So the first two groups combined, four guys are 10 over par on number seven. 
And that's when the USGA says, we have a problem. <laughs> Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. They get in, and, and that's where the fun starts. Randy, so, you, you strike me as someone who would use the term syringe. <laughs> yeah, They're syringing gonna, the grains. Yes, we're going to get to the syringes. So uh, to set the stage, I found this from Kurt Triplett. He told this, uh, this is via Damon Hack in the New York Times. Morning, ba- Damon. From back in 2004. Kurt Triplett said, quote, tomorrow I'm aiming for the bunker. It wouldn't hurt them to sprinkle it a little. And this is Triplett, who apparently was tired of watching his ball skim across the green uh, like a rock across Peconic Bay. Those are those are Damon Hack's words. Uh, Lee Jansen, two-time U.S. Open champion, explains Shinnecock's devilish seventh hole. If you designed 18 greens like that, Nobody would come play your course. <laughs> Scott Hamilton, a writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, uh, said, quote, fans gathered around the seventh hole Sunday like hyenas anxiously awaiting dinner. Uh, he said at times they were chanting, hey, hey, goodbye, as balls would hit the green and roll off the back. These are your people in New York. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> he said at one time fans booed the hole itself when what they thought was a good shot didn't hold. <laughs> they just started booing the hole. Um, so it was complete madness. Um, <laughs> which has to speak to your sensibilities and what well, you love to watch. Was this when you fell in love? Exactly. I, I want to say all this where like, I couldn't be more in on this. <laughs> uh, Rex Hoggard. So Rex Hoggard sat down with Kevin Stadler and JJ Henry a couple years ago when, when the U S open was going back to Shinnecock in, in uh, 2018, he wrote a piece on GolfChannel.com. And Stadler said, as he was showing up to the course on Sunday morning, quote, there were caddies throwing balls down on the practice green that were bouncing over their head. To see that so firm, I couldn't comprehend it. So Which, just from them throw, were So they, caddies were like out on the practice screen kind of getting yeah. re- and they were just bouncing golf balls, and they were coming wow. up over their it's head. It's like Wimbledon. Like concrete, yeah. Um, Stadler would say about his, about his experience, experience on the seventh hole, quote, I had two feet for par and ended up with a six. <laughs> that is so cool. He had a two-footer that he missed, and it just kept going into the bunker. I can't imagine playing seven and then being like, all right, I'm done with that one. And then and then you got to go play nine, yeah. 10, 11. Yeah. Even, well, so... Even the most recent one there, I it's I'm with you, Randy. It's fun to watch these guys struggle <laughs> once a year. It's yeah, once a year. Once a year. Yeah. If everybody knows what they're getting into. Exactly. And like, it sounds like the USGA. I, I mean, I know there were mixed reviews on when they rolled out kind of the marketing campaign and all that stuff, but it sounded like they heard a lot of that feedback and were like, no, you know what? We're going to lean into making this the most brutal test in golf every year, which is awesome. I'm I'm very excited about that. I would argue that when it gets to this point, it's no longer a test. It's just like it, when you've taken it's a different skill, kind of test. When you've taken skill out of it, which is kind of what I think has happened. When yeah. you search for the limit, sometimes you find it. Uh, That's going to happen, though. So Sadler goes on to say it would have been 100% unplayable if they hadn't started watering. It would have been impossible. And this is when they started trying to syringe the greens. Which I guess means like injecting water, like <laughs> sub, like subtraining, like into the ground. <laughs> I'm picturing like a doctor coming in, like, <laughs> clear, 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 boom, yeah. stabbing. <laughs> to which Mark Calcavecchia was quoted as saying, I, "I don't even think the water began to seep into the ground. I think it just kind of beads up on the surface and rolls off like a wax car." <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, some more seventh hole fun. This is uh, back to Damon Hack's piece in the New York Times. Ernie Els is quoted as saying, the seventh hole is unplayable. The majority of the field is going to make four there. It's ridiculous. The green has to be a little bit receptive. The green slopes right to left away from you, and where they put the flag, you had no chance. They didn't quite set it up the way the hole was designed. Is this the year that Phil deliberately hit it in the bunker and like strategized for that? Uh, I I don't know. Okay. I I don't know. Uh, Fun fact, my buddy at the time, or still still a good buddy, Brett Lang, he he was the first alternate for the U.S. Open that year. Like like uh, Furyk and Duval were supposed to withdraw. They hadn't played in forever. He's sitting on the range, all you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, watching this, and then he stayed up there to watch some of it. And I still remember talking to him about it. And he's like, "Dude, this is the kind of shit I would have thrived on." Because <laughs> it <laughs> well could have been because it because it threw out all the a lot of the all skill. The skill yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so I. I not push back. I agree with what you say, but it seems like in all these that we'll we'll end up talking about, the best player still wins. Like Ratif they're Goosen. all playing the same course. Ratif Goosen, was he was yeah, he was a man. All I, playing I the same course. At Chambers Bay too, where it's like, oh, these greens are ridiculous. It's like, dude, well, maybe not the first look at two the, groups. Look out. at the guys who are up top. Not even that though. But like, so you can all play the same course and it not be a great test of your skill. Uh, that's the, that's the point. That's which what I, I agree mean. with. But I still, it seems like. Far more often than not, like the best players still. Or maybe it's just a different. It's a test of different skills yeah. though, too. Yeah. Overall, yeah, it's still a huge test of skill. But like something like this hole is just like, okay, this is just this is Russian roulette. You might make four, you might make seven, like depending on which like which way your ball rolls. Well, and that's a good point because there was some controversy around when they actually watered the seventh green. Also, oh, uh, right. Steve Flesh, who this was his best career U.S. Open finish. He finished tied for Kentucky. seventh, who is, in fact, from, we can confirm, <laughs> is from Northern Kentucky, said, quote, they decided they were going to water between groups. So we get to the seventh tee, and the group in front putts out, and they aren't syringing the green. They are like, go ahead and hit. And we're like, no, we're waiting. This is all his quoting. The official then says, we're watering between every other group. Chris DeMarco, who he's playing with, said he wasn't going to hit until they syringe. And the official said, well, we're going to penalize you for slow play if you don't tee off. <laughs> DeMarco, what if guy, man? What if they would have yeah. watered before his group? This is a classic, like, not one single chance would they have done that to Tiger. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. not one. Well, what's interesting, Mickelson's quoted as saying, and I, bel- uh, he, he said, quote, I know that their basis was once somebody four or five putted, they were they watered the green. And so it was really important that the group in front of you four or five putt, <laughs> and then you had a chance. But that didn't happen. We were the group that four or five putted, and then they watered for the guys behind us. That was nice. <laughs> Uh, which I think that must have been sad because I can't figure out who would have been playing behind Mickelson on Sunday. So that might have even been from from Saturday. It, complete sweepstakes going on on the, on the seventh hole. Maggart chimes back in. I thought it was ridiculous. I was waiting for the water. Uh, was Phil in the last group on Saturday? Because I thought he and Mag- I thought he and Goosen played together. Okay, I, I, but maybe not. I mean, maybe could not. have been Ernie was he and Ernie were tied going into the last round. I don't okay. know who was in the last group. Well, then that would maybe that makes sense. And I I I didn't look into that aspect of it. Um, Maggart went as far as to ask some USGA officials if the green was going to be watered, uh, presumably before he was set to tee off. 
And this is Maggart saying, quote, they said, we water it when we feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, that can't be true. Uh, Walter Davis uh, of the USGA Championship Committee kind of summed up what the players were facing. Is this Mike's dad? Uh, I, honestly, I don't know. Uh, he said, quote, they were putting downwind, downhill, downgrain, down world. And it's <laughs> very difficult to stop those putts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is better than I even remember it. So that's that was the seventh hole. Uh, just a couple quotes. As you can imagine, guys would come in, sign for their score, and they were not happy with the overall uh, conditioning of the course. Jay Haas again said, they, the membership, won't have, won't have any greens to put on for a while. Uh, Jerry Kelly was fired up. He was quoted in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel as saying, when are they going to grow ahead? Presumably meaning the, uh, the the USGA. Get off your high horse and be good to the game. I mean, it's an ego contest. If they were smart, they'd realize they look really stupid. They're not respecting the game. They're not respecting this golf course. Why would you do this to the golf course? They're making the course look bad. I don't get it. Why would you do that? And yet here we are, 16 <laughs> years later, talking about how how memorable it was. So this was this was also going back to our Tiger podcast. This was two years after the the Beth Page incident where they set up that one hole where a bunch of the guys couldn't get to the fairway. And so they're trying to hit, hit into the yeah. walkway of the fest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say Sunday. We're reaching like peak USGA hate here. The, the fever pitch is bubbling. Six up. years after Olympic club. Exactly. The 18th green on, what was that Friday? Uh, Goosen and Mickelson both parred number seven on Sunday. There you go. There, there you mm. go. How about that? I bet he did play to the bunker then maybe, yeah. you know, um, Bones told the story on the pod. I th I'm pretty sure it was Shinnecock that they that they purposely hit into the bunker because the green was so bad. Uh, you might wonder, the GOAT, Tiger, he chimed in after his round, quote, I think they lost control of the golf course. That's <laughs> that's obvious. It's terrible. God. I just couldn't get any water on the green. Our, our national championship, and they lost control of the golf course. Which, if I could go back on my what I said earlier, if there was like a play into the bunker to get up and down, like that's that is... Just because a hole doesn't play traditionally how you would expect it to play golf, that is really interesting. I think. Like, who says you should? Like, I know that this. Like, who says you should be able to hit the green on a par three? Like, the goal is just to get in the, in the hole. If there's a play into the bunker and that's like the right play, that's which right. I don't remember how it played, but it, apparently that that's was. Right. It the seems play. like the the best guys figure it out. That's right. Well, this is Cliff Kresge. Uh, this is via ESPN.com to David Kraft. Uh, quote: Do you guys like us looking like a bunch of idiots out there? Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not fun to hit a ball and watch it go back to your feet. I don't know how much people enjoy this, and I want to say, Cliff, welcome I am to the party, pal. <laughs> Same with the tenth hole. Like you Cliff, you I come am up here a little bit it. short into that green, oh, yeah, it's and coming it's coming all back. I remember when I played the eleventh hole. I turned to the caddy. I was like, "Dude, I've seen this hole on TV and everything, but like, how much room do I have over that ridge?" And he goes, "Like, that's the green, dude. There's no more. <laughs> like, there's no more green behind." What do you mean? I already pulled over. I can't, I can't pull over any farther. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll wrap this all up. This is this uh, this puts a little bow on it for me. Uh, this is the Purple Mamba, JJ Henry uh, via Rex Hoggard's GolfChannel.com piece. Uh, Henry quote: I can remember Tom Meeks coming up to us in the scoring trailer and saying how sorry he was, saying, "quote Unfortunately, we lost the golf course." <laughs> Basically, this is Henry now. Basically, really sorry you guys had to play through some of those conditions. Uh, however, Meeks declined to comment about the 04 championship, telling GolfChannel.com, quote, I have nothing but fond memories of Shinnecock Hills and wish them nothing but the best. And you know what, Tom? 
Me too. <laughs> Nothing but fond memories. I remember we went up for the media day for that U.S. Open. Uh, Mike Davis takes the stand, the, the mic, and he's like, takes the takes stand. The stand. <laughs> he's like, you know, last time we were here, you know, if you were to give us a score, it would probably be a double bogey. And that's with equitable stroke control. <laughs> yeah. So Tom Meeks was the guy before yeah. Mike yeah. Davis. It's, it's not a the past joke, but he's, yeah. just, he's trying. Yeah. So Meeks was the one that got detonated for yeah. Olympic. Beth Page. Yeah. yeah. I reached out to a couple players last night asking for their their memories of best carnage, and that name came up more than one time. Yeah. He was he was a he was a bad dude in in like the best way. Well, Randy, that was absolutely exceptional. <laughs> Anything else to add? That that's it. The only thing I'll say there was a lot, there was some controversy. Um, I, I think the USGA at one point seemingly tried to throw the maintenance crew under the bus by like accidentally mowing, and there was like this back and forth between like who's really at fault here. Uh, and I think Mike Davis set the record straight a couple years ago when he was like, like there just was no water. We we didn't water it. Water. It was yeah, there was no water. <laughs> it was a drought. Anything else you looked at besides doing this one? Any other? You know, the other one I looked at was the 1998 U.S. Women's Open, which uh, Sayri Pak won at six over. Uh, there was this big thing about, uh, I think it was like Meg Mallon, Nancy Lopez, and some other person uh, were literally waving white towels walking down the 18th fairway <laughs> and like surrendered to the course because it was so difficult. But I, I couldn't find enough like good quotes or anecdotes. Well, that was A plus, Randy. Great job. Thank you. A quick break here to remind you, we've got live golf coming to your television screens this weekend. So for this big event, DraftKings Sportsbook is hosting a free-to-play contest with $10,000 up for grabs. It's very easy to play. All you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, go to pools, select the contest for this weekend's big event to play for a share of $10,000 in prizes. Uh, just answer a handful of questions on what you think is going to happen in this weekend's skins match. Simple questions. Who do you think is going to have the longest drive on the first hole? In a time of limited sports, this is your chance to scratch your competitive itch, reign supreme over your friends and family by trying out one of DraftKings' free-to-play contests. And if, of course, if you are in a state where sports betting is legal, the DraftKings Sportsbook is offering a variety of ways to bet on this weekend's match, such as what's the outcome of the first hole. You can bet on Rory and DJ to win. You can bet on Ricky and Wolf to win. I'm on the dogs. Like, you know, with something with this long of a layout, I would not be laying uh, whatever you got to pay to bet on Rory and DJ. I, this thing is going to kind of go up for grabs, and I, I'm not positive how competitive this thing is going to be. So I would bet on the underdog. Uh, you can bet on how many times over under how many times Oklahoma State's going to be mentioned, which is 2.5. Will any players be tweeting between the time they tee off and the end of the 18th hole? Yes or no? All kinds of fun stuff. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now to enter the free-to-play pool for this weekend's skins match. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget to enter promo code NLU and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's get back to the pot. Next up. Let me open with a quote from uh, recency bias, of course, here. But a uh, friend of the program, PJ Tour winner Adam Long, oh, who said, schlong, schlonger. I cannot picture a world in which the Exuma 2017 event isn't the number one carnage event of all time. <laughs> so, of course, we're going to be talking about 
then the web.com tours uh great exuma classic in 2017 but before we do a quick an amuse bouche uh because the great exuma classic broke a lot of records from the 1991 south texas open uh and that was mentioned a couple times and a lot of people myself included tc included have have said what the hell's the deal with the south texas open so we dove into that one just a, just a, a bit uh, and to set the table there, this was March 3rd, 1991, randomly the same day as the Rodney King thing, which I researched as I was trying to find what day of the week it was, uh, but it was a Sunday. Uh, it was in, I forget the name of the town, right across the bay from, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Port Aransas? Uh, what'd you say? Port Aransas? No, it starts with a P though. Portland. It was Portland, Texas. Okay. And I think it was a total wind switch situation, uh, it was pretty hard all week, and actually looking at the aerials of this golf course, North Shore Country Club, not the one in just outside Chicago, uh, but the other one, uh, it was. It, it looks a lot like the Bahamas course, and it looks like one of those places where there's a bunch of holes, kind of almost like Pebble Beach, where you get a bunch of holes in a row uh, right on the water. So if you get a crazy crosswind, <laughs> like people are just going to struggle, and that's going to be you're going to have a bad you're time. you're going to have a bad time, and so that's a precursor to uh, what we will see down in the Great Exumas in uh, the Bahamas as well. But I had to dig way back into the Corpus what, what Christi. What tour are weather. we on? This is the Nike tour. The Nike tour. Yeah. Okay. I had to dig way back into the former Corpus Christi weather reports from 1991 to try to track down what the hell's going on. You're in but the Farmer's Almanac. I think it was Weather Underground, actually. had all the archival data, so shout out to them. Uh, day one, mid-80s, 13-mile-an-hour winds from the west. Uh, day two, you know, standard Texas, low 90s, 20-mile-an-hour winds from the west. Day three, it was high 50s when they teed off. Whoa. Uh, wind gusting 30 to 40 miles an hour from the north. Things just... Totally switched. It was a 54-hole event, and honestly, I tried to dig into the local newspapers. Uh, all the players are outside my Rolodex. It was it was a much older older crop of players. I couldn't really figure out much of what was going on. There just wasn't much coverage of it, unfortunately. But um, to paint the picture, Roger Salazar won the event uh, at three over par with a final round 79. Uh, a couple other finishers, Ed Fiore, the gripper. The gripper, oh. you know. Uh, 71, 79, 79 to finish in the top 20. Paul Goido, 73, 81, 81. Tom Lehman, 68, 84, 77. So it wasn't just Sunday. It was playing Back-to-back hard. Back-to-back 80s from pros. It, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. How about Tom Lehman having an 84 on the card and finishing in the top 20? And making the cut. He makes, that was <laughs> pre-cut, right? It was pre-cut. And I'm, or no, 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 sorry. It, it, there was a cut because that was the big record that they broke. Was It was the highest cut in the history of then the Nike Tour, uh, formerly the Hogan Tour and Buy.com Tour. Sorry, was it a 54-hole event? Scheduled as that. that, or was the last round canceled I because of weather? Believe it. That's a great question, but I believe that it was a scheduled fifty-four hole event because it still finished on Sunday. Okay. So unless one of the other ones got wiped out, I which I is possible, but I couldn't couldn't find. But the cut line was ten over par. <laughs> um, anybody at ten over made it through, and we'll get to that record being broken in the Bahamas a couple years ago. But. Um, just a couple quick quick stats there. The scorecards always get broken out on like all the archives that we dig into, into like eagles, birdies, pars, bogeys, double bogeys, and others, uh, which is presumably triple bogeys or worse. There were 109 others, 109 triples or worse by field in 54 holes. Essentially, so that for every one triple, there were only six birdies, which is pretty nuts to to think about for the third best tour in the world. 
the par four fourth hole was where a lot of the carnage happened. It had for the entire week, 11 birdies for, by the entire field and 11 triples or worse. <laughs> uh, and also had more bogeys than pars. So anyways, that that's the South Texas Open. That all paves the way for the 2017 Bahamas Great Exuma Classic. Uh, of course, this is taking place at Michael Scott's favorite uh, golf course, the Sandals Emerald Bay in Great Exuma. Uh, the, the course famously designed by Greg Norman, seemingly for the purposes of just emasculating men during their honeymoons. Golf Advisor says uh, the golf course has six signature holes, which TCI would posit to you if you have six signature holes. Do you have one? Or you got a really long signature. <laughs> or you got a long-ass signature. You got the Gary Player signature. Um, but same as same as what we saw at North Shore Country Club, just there's a peninsula out of land out here, which when you look at the Google Earth view, it looked like they were trying to sell a bunch of houses there. It doesn't look like there's really any houses going on there, which I thought was interesting. There's a lot of cul-de-sacs with like no houses, and the golf holes just kind of wrap around. Is this the one where they had Firefest? It is. is. That that was, I, I think is that was on Exuma as well. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty. But first of all, shout out to Kyle. Thompson. So there's a stretch of holes out on like just Sorry. an exposed peninsula. Exactly, okay. and so it's it, the holes kind of. There's probably three or four holes out there that just wrap around the outskirts of this peninsula. And so, so Kyle Thompson won the event. He was the only player under par, two under par for the week. Um, congratulations to him. What a grinder! Out. Yeah, he was also six over through his first six holes that week. So Thursday. <laughs> Thursday was the the day that things were just or I'm sorry it was Sunday because I think it was a Sunday to Wednesday event but round 1 was the day that everything was just biblical. This was one of the first event I think this was the first event they did this Sunday to Wednesday I think thing, you're which was exactly sweet. Right. So yeah. A lot of this was occurring on Sunday and Monday. <laughs> yeah. When it like it's like the only golf on on it Monday. Was it was I, absolutely awesome. Oh. I I vaguely remember this. I yeah. So Kyle Thompson uh was 6 over through his first 6. And shot 76 in the final round, which was actually far better than the field average, which was, any guesses? 79. Part, what are we working with? Part 72? I believe part 72. Yeah, so 78 and a half. 81 and a half oh, was God. the field average. Winds were north of 40 miles an hour and a mega crosswind on, out on that peninsula. <laughs> so picture kind of basically holes running back to back, and you've got a 40-mile-an-hour crosswind whipping across this peninsula so off the water i believe it was the off video the water. Yeah, yeah the video exactly. sent the well it was off putting. the water for some holes but it was a peninsula okay. so yeah, was, yeah you know but what was really hard about that too was it was basically with all the housing and stuff it was ob up the let's call let's say if the water's on the left the ob would be up the right and the wind was so drastic that you had to on a lot of holes according to a lot of players who reached out you had to basically decide okay if I'm going to lose this, do I want to lose it in the OB or do I want to lose it in the water? It's kind of like the lefty challenge. <laughs> and if I'm going to lose it in the water, I need to cover some land because a lot of these things like the tee boxes are, are stuck out almost on their own little peninsulas. So if you hit it, if you get one like left over the water and it doesn't come back, like it's basically an OB ball and you're reteeing because you like shoots and ladders. You didn't you're trying to advance. Yeah. Far <laughs> exactly, and that that was what. But uh, there were so many Cavalier drops. That's what uh, Adam <laughs> Adam Long went on to to explain that where you're just really desperately trying to, like you're probably going to hit it in the water, so you just got to make sure you cover land. <laughs> that's can, I hit, can I hit a massive cut? So exactly. It, yeah. Because he's like, re I believe his quote was, "Reteeing is a death sentence," <laughs> <laughs> because anything it could just get. Far worse uh, from there. So a couple more stats. Kyle Thompson, so think about all this with putting. Think of this, folks. No three putts for the week. 
which Jeez. is unbelievable. Wow. First time in a 72-hole web.com tour event that the leader was not under par after 54 holes. Um, so he shot two under. You got to remember this around, was pre-live under par. This was pre-live under par. <laughs> great, great point. Eventual tour winners, Corey Connors and Nate Lashley, both shot 79 in the first round and still finished uh, T5, both of them. The cut would go on to be 11 over, uh, which, of course, would replace the 1991 South Texas Open as the highest cut in tour history. I remember there was a guy, I can't remember his name now. He's still he's still bouncing around on, on web and Latin America. And you're probably going to get to him. He shot like 90. TC, you read my mind. (laughs) Greg Eason was his name. Uh, And this is said with no disrespect to Greg Eason. Because he had 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 some good results prior to this. He absolutely did. And I think he followed, like he had just like an out of body stretch where he like couldn't break 90. And then he like weirdly shot 67 one day. And I remember everybody on the tour was like really pumped for him. But he did get his dick knocked in the next week. Exactly. Because it was really hard. It was really windy and hard the the following week at Abaco. So uh, this was the first time in web tour history that more than one person shot in the 90s. Uh, there was three of them. Well, three different people. I believe four total rounds in the 90s. Greg Eason, Brian Smith, and Brian Bigley. So the first two rounds had three rounds in the 60s and five rounds in the 90s. That is that is <laughs> aw- that, Legitimately, that's awesome. <laughs> Let me repeat that. On the web.com tour, often referred to as the wedge.com tour back in the day, three rounds total in the 60s and two rounds. And five rounds in the 90s. That is unbelievable. Uh, Tommy Ganey had an interview afterwards. I think he went like 84, 86 or something like that, or 81, 84, uh, about the pure stupidity of playing. That interview has since been scrubbed from the oh. internet. I spent way too much time uh, trying to uh, trying to find it. TC, I know this is one of the things that you have, have loved and kept alive each year where they return to the Bahamas. Live scoring was a complete shit show. <laughs> uh, like had, it was going to be a shit show anyway, because the, a lot of these guys didn't play golf. The, and then the Bahamian volunteers were—they had no idea what not penalty strokes. Well versed oh. in how the penalty strokes worked or anything like oh that. Oh my goodness! And so it was a lot of like, oh my god, these conditions look insane. <laughs> Let me see like how my buddies are playing. And I remember specifically they had Luke Guthrie up there at like four under through like seven. I was like, that's unbelievable. This is going to be the greatest round ever. And then the broadcasters or the live scoring would eventually like true up. And actually they did it with the TV a lot where they had, I forget who it was. They had someone on TV. They had him listed as like six under. And I've turned it on. I was like, this is going to be the most amazing round ever played. And they just like had to casually brush past it. Like, Every oh, time, yeah. Unfortunately, there was a scoring uh, glitch and he's actually 11 over it. <laughs> Uh, and so that happened constantly yeah. for like four days. Well, I think some of the some of the walking scores I think thought like they didn't know practice swings <laughs> were allowed. <laughs> I, I swear to God, this is one of the reasons. And so they would count every time oh. a guy would make a practice oh. too. Can you imagine them talking amongst each other? Like, man, I thought these guys were supposed to be good golfers. <laughs> exactly. They keep missing the ball. It was talking um, to Guthrie about it. He was saying, you know, like, yeah, I was hitting. You know, hit a 125-yard four-iron at one point. Oh, yeah. Point. We'll, we'll get to some of the specifics on that, too. Although on the Guthrie front, I remember him and his wife, Caitlin, I think had just gotten married, like, the the Christmas prior, like, late in 2016. And they were going to – they weren't going on a honeymoon right away, so they were like, oh, we'll, we'll both go to the Bahamas. Caitlin was a college golfer. Like, Caitlin, you'll caddy. It'll be, like, really fun. It'll be kind of like a relaxing trip. And that was her first round uh, caddying for Luke was uh, this – historically biblical round so i can't imagine kind of like when you play in the wind the constant companion in your ears 
of just oh, the wind blowing. Miserable. Yeah. And you just can't find anywhere quiet. Like, oh, man. Uh, did, did anybody run out of golf balls? We'll get there in a second, too. The par 4 12th hole had the highest scoring average of any hole in the history of the tour. <laughs> uh, it was a, a par 4. It was stroke average of uh, 5.008. Um, so over a stroke, over over a stroke above par, it averaged uh, to 5.4 in the opening round. So almost a stroke and a half over par. The 13th hole, the par three, was set up at 88 yards. I uh, tweeted a video earlier today of Tim Madigan hitting an eight iron from 88 yards to 12 feet. It was <laughs> the coolest shot I've seen in years. It was amazing. Adam Long explained the 11th hole, the par three which was 150 yards. I believe it was the 11th, but apologies if I'm, I'm wrong. It's technically like an island par three. He said it's so big that he was playing a practice round with somebody and they didn't even realize it was an island because it's it's just massive. And then you showed up on Thursday and you thought there was absolutely no way you could possibly <laughs> hit the green. And uh, this is his, his quote on how he played this hole. This is a big shout out to uh, Phil and number seven at Shinnecock as well. You had to favor the ocean side of the green because on the left, so the ocean was to the right, the left was a death bunker and bushes, which brought in a massive number into play. So I figured I would just take my drop up near the green and play for bogey. I think I hit it in right in the water three times semi on purpose <laughs> that week. And he finished like 30th or something like that. Yeah, so three times in the water on a 150-yard par three. That's That's how serious this was. A couple other players weighed in uh, on Twitter when I, I started tweeting about this event. Uh, Kent Bull shot 67 in the final round, or in the second round, and called it "quote the greatest round of his life." <laughs> uh, Vince Cavello, uh, another Jacks native friend of the program, said he was in the fourth group out in the morning on Thursday, and it took seven and a half hours to play the round. <laughs> oh my god! The best part is this is the first tournament of the year for these exactly. guys, so they're all pumped to get out there. They've been working on their games for <laughs> four or year. five months, and. He, uh, Vince said, if you were there, you will literally never forget this event. Uh, Ken Looper got in the DMs after I tweeted the video of his hat blowing off. Uh, it's an excellent video. You see the the water just whipping these players in the face. Flag sticks are flying all over the place. And Ken Looper is trying to hit this like six-foot putt, and his hat just goes flying, and he's got to run after it. He said that his first day scorecard, how he started the tournament, was eight, two, seven, three, four. This was how he started, uh, and I believe on I forget which hole it was, but the one where he's putting in the in the video, he said he backfooted a seven iron and rolled the ball onto the green from seventy five yards with a <laughs> with a seven iron, and that was the putt that he was that he was trying to make, which was for par. And uh, he said I was so pumped I hit it there, and then he went on to make the putt. So possibly the the most unbelievable stat, which which I'll close with and pass it on to my associate Tron, it does come from poor Greg Eason. Uh, who went 91-95 in the first two rounds. Did he make the cut? He did not know. He was just outside the cut line. He claims that he started the week with 36 golf balls and lost 32 of them. <laughs> oh, my in two God. In two rounds, lost 32 golf balls. Oh. What? That's that's how hard it was. Almost, Looking at, uh, this doesn't count the guys that missed the cut. So unless somebody shot you know, super low first round, Steven Yeager, 71, first round leader, shot 82, make the cut uh, on the number, looks like. Uh, so almost the mega Camilo. Yeah. And then followed that up with another 80 and a 78. 
So, I mean, that's... It's just, it's really heady stuff. And Golf Channel honestly needs to devote a night to it or a week to it or something. But as Job said, uh, Job Fickett said on Twitter too, if you, what a great break that this was televised. Otherwise, this, it would have been lost to the sands of time. But yeah. it's the fact that this exists. Go back on Corn Fairy Tour did a great job of tweeting a bunch of highlights and stuff that are all still up. So if, if you're looking for... Uh, if you're looking for more more material, go check that out. I'd, I'd like to say good on the tournament directors for continuing play. <laughs> exactly. Much to Tommy Ganey's uh, chagrin. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Ganey then would go on to win the event uh, three years later after his inspiring comeback from the prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> so, He's been through a lot. Yeah, full circle. Well, Deej. That was excellent. That brings me to one that, you know, I, I wanted to reach out to some of the participants. I uh, couldn't. Couldn't find anybody that was willing to go on record about it. Uh, that's, of course, the 1901 year. <laughs> <laughs> Still on no comments. Yeah, exactly. Myopia Hunt Club in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. Place close to your heart. Yeah. I, I, uh, well, I've You've only played there. there once. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, the, the... Used to do more fox hunting there, right? Yeah. And, I, and Randy, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> Instead of live hunts, they do uh, what's called a drag hunt, which they drag a scent around the property and then you have to you know i'm not sure what the deal is or why but anyway neither here nor there uh, the pro loves to come out and say yeah this is the highest score in the history of the u.s highest winning score in the history of the u.s open so that's what kind of led me to it but as i went down the rabbit hole of they hosted the the, the u.s open in 1901 also hosted it in 1905 um just this whole i feel like they're due of, for another one kind of period yeah <laughs> You know, it was only 6,100 yards when they played it in 1901. I think it's up to 6,500 now. A little bit about myopia. Mr. Leeds, Harvard man, Ivy League man. Oh, mm, mm, mm. was he on the gridiron? Uh, I believe, hold on, let's see here. Leeds was, all right, so Mr. Leeds graduated from Harvard, mm. where in addition to graduating or completing his Bachelor of Arts in 1877, he played baseball. Mm. Yes, I'm sure I'll see him at the university club <laughs> up in the big city one day. So he, he kind of ruled with an iron fist around there for 30, 35 years. 1901, we're still relatively in the, you know, most of the golf pros coming over are Scottish. Uh, they're also club makers and pros you know uh, club pros basically so pros pros pro, too. pros pros as well yeah, <laughs> for sure for sure so you know 19 actually 1898 myopia had their first u.s open but uh they they only had nine holes at the time so they just played nine holes uh over and over and over again i would have set that one out <laughs> randy's proper 18 holes only <laughs> so then moving on to 1901 so they had the the 1900 um u.s open at chicago golf club Harry Varden wins. They go to Myopia in 1901. Myopia, up to 18 holes. They played. They played 36 a day. So I believe this one they played on Thursday and Friday. There was a playoff, but they couldn't play the playoff till Monday because Saturday and Sunday were members' days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that sounds about right. Is this one of those courses where the the country club they slow it down, they slow the greens down for the tournaments because the members play it faster? Well, than it's the, the kind of place do. where you can always show up. Oh, and have the game. <laughs> players' club for sure. Yeah, so you know that's that's definitely something to consider here. But yeah, 1901, the winning score 331. <laughs> oh my God! How many rounds? Did What's they the quick math on that? Uh, it's about it's a it's an average of about eighty. Eighty-two point seven five. 
highest score on a hole in U.S. Open history. Somebody made it 24 on the fourth <laughs> hole, which is, it's like a 400-yard par four. It's not easy or anything like that. Um, I bet I could get it down. In but digging more and more into it, Willie Anderson, very illustrious player in his own right. He had won the U.S. Open. This was the first of, of four U.S. Open victories. Scottish guy from North Berwick came over. I believe he was the head pro at uh, Apawamis around Westchester area in New York. Only lived to the age of 31. Actually, I, you know, differing accounts here. Some people said he had epilepsy. Others said he just drank himself to death. First ballot Hall of Famer. Went into the initial Hall of Fame class. Really? Uh, yeah, like which Deej, I know you're a big Hall of Fame guy. Sounds like he's, uh, I'm fine with the Hall of Fame, just not their website. He, he won. <laughs> posthumously awarded eight major championships. <laughs> he, won, he won four Western Opens, which was big time. He was the first club pro, or he was, he was a club pro at, at Mesquamacut. Uh, he had never played in a competition before he got to America in 1897. So Sounds like huh. he might be worth a deep dive. Uh, I think so. So anyway, so he's playing Willie Smith. Another Scott, another interesting Scott. Willie Smith was the runner-up at 328 in 1898 by seven shots. So, you know, he had, he had a track record coming in. He was a dog. <laughs> they go to a playoff after – so Smith is up. Smith has a five-shot lead after the 13th hole on the last round. Five-shot lead. That's the most dangerous lead in golf. <laughs> no doubt. He makes a seven – after getting bunkered on 15, <laughs> lost another shot on 17, and then had a one-shot lead going into 18. Anderson made par while Smith made double. So they come back out on Monday for the playoff. Anderson has the superintendent and club pro who was playing in the competition during the regular competition. He hires him to be his caddy. That, I love that. Is it is it illegal? Yeah. If you don't it, like, if you don't like it, put it in the rule book. Close the loophole. And gave him a ton, ton of credit. Said uh, John Jones was his name. He said, uh, you know, great amount of local knowledge. Probably couldn't have done it without him. But the in the playoff, Smith misses a three-footer on 18 mm. after Anderson makes a five-footer. And so Smith has this to tie the playoff and keep it going. Anderson makes a putt. Smith misses it. And that's it. That's all she wrote. So mm. a couple other tidbits I found. Um, you know, obviously couldn't couldn't find a whole lot of quotes. Not a whole lot of people. This was Alex Smith he beat? Alex Smith, yeah. So Before he broke his leg. <laughs> <laughs> Alex uh, Smith is a good, the, good the player tough, in his own right, actually. Maybe the toughest break for an Alex Smith uh, <laughs> <laughs> since, oh, yeah, so, since so the you, leg. You, you had Lori Octorloni, which, you know, if you've been to St. Andrews, Octorloni, there's the shop there, right. um, that, that family. Uh, another guy who was in the field, guy that we're very familiar with, David Brown. Oh, he's a roofer. Was he the roofer? The roofer, sir. <laughs> give, give me the roofer. So it seems that he uh, he transitioned, shout out to KB, uh, transitioned from being a roofer uh, on, on the heels of his Open Championship, started playing a lot more, and started taking his talents across the pond in 1900. Do we want to explain the roofer thing? Uh, that was when, we're at, when we we're at Muscleboro, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The historian was very excited that to, to talk about was it David David Brown? David, I was going to say David Brown. I was like, ah, oh, that's the web.com. <laughs> Turns out it's he later found found <laughs> web.com. Uh, but yeah, he, they needed another person for the Open at Muscleboro, right? In 1886 Open Championship. They, he was a roofer. They he was literally off. on the roof. He was a roofer. He yanked He's him the off roofer. the roof, put him in the bath. He went out and won the Open. They washed him up. Washed him up. Gave him a nice pair of clean clothes. And he won the Open. 
So go back and watch season, what was that, season two, two of Tortoise Sauce <laughs> when we go to Musselboro. Um, another couple interesting things about uh, Anderson. He sounded like he was like the original ball striker's favorite ball striker. Mm. Uh, won titles with both the gutta percha and the rubber core ball. Mega interlock grip guy. Like he would interlock two fingers. Really? Not just one. He carried eight clubs, huge mashy guy. <laughs> and uh, illustrious with, with his brassy on recovery shots. Not a niblick guy, though? Too. Allegedly not. A, you know, I didn't see anything about the niblick. Two more interesting tidbits. One about Willie, or about Alex Smith. He was the assistant, or he was the head pro at Westchester Country Club, and then his brother, Willie Smith, who won the U.S. Open in 1899 at Baltimore Country Club, started designing Club de Golf Chapultepec. It was actually injured in the building of one of the original courses down there during the Mexican Revolution, and then died four or five years later of pneumonia, and Alex Smith went, went down and finished Golf Club de Chapultepec mm, down there. Wow. Uh, TPC Chapultepec. Sight of enough. some carnage in its own right. But yeah, Anderson uh, also played off his left foot. I could have been like the, the original stack and tilt guy <laughs> as well. So um, Loaded up. Last thing from Myopia was... Uh, None of the pros were allowed in the clubhouse, <laughs> which Anderson was pissed about. <laughs> that sounds about right. So, did Myopia host after that? Oh, you said 1905 05. too. They did, yeah. And actually, so I think uh, they're out of the rota now. Yeah, so Anderson actually wins. The players unionized in uh, for better, better player dining. Which it's it's such a fun course. It's like one of my favorites I've ever played. There's just there's so much there's so many wacky holes. The first hole is this blind uphill short four it's wild but yeah uh anderson won 1901 1903 1904 and 1905 1905 was back at myopia he beat alex smith by one shot alex smith had a big lead going into 36 hole leader and 54 hole leader i believe and then alex smith sounds like a complete choke artist but <laughs> you, you know, know what we call that that's a tough break <laughs> smith smith did just did sure end up winning making sure people caught that one the first time <laughs> many people could have said smith was kind of like ricky in, in his early days second place in 98 seventh place in 99 second place in 01 fourth place in 03 second place in 05 but one in 1906, so maybe there's hope for Ricky. And then a couple thirds, 1908, 1909. Looks like one by seven strokes one in 06. Yeah, that's what 1906. You just break through. Broke through. Someone should ask Ricky about, have you studied the career of Alex Smith? <laughs> and interestingly enough, in 1906, his brother, Willie, runner-up. How about that? Thank right. you, TC. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, not a whole lot about the carnage. I mean, I just kind of assumed, like, it was fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would sign up for another 331 winning U.S. Open yeah. score. All right, I'm up next. Uh, we are going to go just down the street for the next one. Players' Championship, near and dear to our hearts in Ponte Vedra. It's not always been at TPC at the stadium course at TPC. For a five-year period, it was held at Sawgrass Country Club on both the east and west courses. Was it a one-day or two-day event? It was the site <laughs> of... There's a bit of history with the, uh, confusion on that. At that the venue. U.S. amateur withdrawal of one Chris Solomon uh, last year after not knowing it was a two-day event. Um, it was not because the course was too difficult. You will see. We were going to run into quite a few withdrawals for different reasons than, than I had to withdraw. But 
Um, so the Players' Championship, just a, a brief history for those that don't know, kind of was created as supposed to be this big marquee event for the PGA Tour, but it moved around for the first three years. It went to Atlanta, Atlanta Country Club, and then it went to Colonial for a year, and then went to, for the third year, it went to somewhere in Florida, Inverary, I think is what the name of it. Yeah. Uh, struggled to pronounce that one. Southeast so, Florida. And then it moved uh, somewhat permanently to Sawgrass Country Club. This is a golf course designed by Ed Say, I believe is how you pronounce it. Correct. Um, the, the partner of Arnold Palmer. Partner of Arnold Palmer. And, and our and our hitter emeritus, uh, Harrison, Harrison Minshew. Harrison Minshew. Exactly. So, Minshew mania. It, uh, <laughs> we're going to mostly focus on the 1979 Players' Championship when things really came to a head, but I want to first cover the first two years there, first one being 1977. Both of the first two years, in 77 and 78, plus one won the championship. Mark Hayes won it in year one, and Jack Nicklaus won it in year two. Dan Jenkins had the following to say in 1977 about the Players' Championship. The championship has a bruised and battered past. From the beginning, it claimed major status, insinuating that it deserved to be thought of in the same class as the Masters, the U.S. Open, and British Opens, and the National PGA, a sort of Grand Slam plus one. It didn't ask anyone, by the way. It just claimed it, primarily on the basis that the tournament was a big-money event to be played on tough courses with the best field you could assemble. This was all true, but major status will only come with age and refinements that will be made over the years, if at all. Only public taste and, to some extent, the attitude of the press will ultimately decide the proper place of the TPC, the Players' Championship. Possibly the world doesn't need a fifth major, and it will have to settle down on that plateau of annual competitions that are thought of as significant, Better than a Doral or a Kemper, of course, but hardly a Masters. Somewhere in between. Still having the same conversation. And PJ Tour today. Marketing said, hold my beer. Yeah. As when it was written. Let's see if we get how many. Can we? Maybe we, maybe we can. That was, 43 so, so years that was, later. Yeah, I was going to say that's more than 40 years ago. We're having the exact same conversation. Um, so, again, players bounced around. And then so that when it came to the players in 77, first time at Sawgrass Country Club, 140-ish players in the field. 50 of them at one point shot 80 or higher. One fellow actually confessed to a 91 named John Lister, and one did not, Homero Blancas, although 91 is what he shot. <laughs> Blancas was disqualified after failing to sign his scorecard. Uh, the average scorecard in the afternoon was 81 on Friday. Bruce Litsky sat in the locker room trying to figure out a worst ball score among the field, worst score from anyone uh, on each hole from anyone. He got the number up to 131. <laughs> um, the, the round was best summed up by Cesar Sanudo, one of the day's 14 dropouts, hitting his third drive at the ninth hole after the other two had gone in the water. And seeing this one take a huge soaring turn to the same hazard, he started walking in. It's the first time I ever withdrew when the ball was in the air. <laughs> Jason Day, don't get any ideas. I can read the names. I typed them all out, but I'm going to skip that because I already teased that there were 14 dropouts. In total, one-sixth of the field was either disqualified or withdrew. I'm not signing it. Um, I'm not signing it. When Alan Miller was asked what the average score is going to be, he replied, withdrew. <laughs> Ray Floyd called it the worst he's ever played in the U.S. That's year one. And the, All right, so is this because the course is so hard? Or? It's the wind the, it whipped for three consecutive years, like okay. in late March. And the course is hard, and we're going to get to some of that as well. So this is fast forward to 1978, the next year. From Dan Jenkins yet again. 
From Thursday's start, the players found sawgrass to be precisely as they left it a year ago, a swampy, scrubby, windy, chilly, narrow pane in the three-wood. They had been told it would be easier this year, that some changes had been made in the architecture. Several reptiles supposedly had been exterminated, too. There was, however, one thing that couldn't be corrected, the basic design of the layout. Sawgrass is a non-links course by the sea. If there was a run-up shot to be had out there or, or a place where the golfer could get underneath the wind, no one could find it. Sawgrass was target golf under links conditions, and this made for high-scoring and bitter locker rooms. Jack won it again at plus one, and he said, I, feel like, I didn't feel like I won it. I feel like everyone else lost it. Arnie shot 85 that year. So this leads us to 1979, third straight year. There were um, instances of uh, people threatening if the weather's going to be the same this year, like we're just going to withdraw. And uh, the course, Which the was, fact that it took him two plus years to, to you know, uh, it was the biggest check in that. golf. Yeah, it was the biggest check. So the course was l- reduced by 91 yards in 1979. All right, we're going to make it a little easier on the guys. Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, scoring's off to a low start. Lanny Watkins, nine under at the halfway point, three shot lead. Everything's fine. Follows it with a disastrous seven, uh, Saturday, 76. He still leads by three. Saturday, Lee Trevino says, the greens have turned blue. If they don't put water on them, we won't have anything to putt on tomorrow. The poor greens penalize good shots, but they won't water them. Lanny said, I'll bring my razor and dinner tomorrow. It took us so long to play 10 and 11 that I don't even remember playing them. It was like one of Yvonne <laughs> Gulagong's walkabouts. I just went off somewhere. <laughs> So I had to look up Yvonne Gulagong's walkabouts, which she was a former number one tennis player in the world, uh, aborigine of Aboriginal descent. And uh, when asked about like losing focus during a tournament, she just said like, "I don't know. I went on a walkabout. I don't know if she was like pandering <laughs> to the media as like as an Aboriginal walkabout or what." But I had to. We should go on a walkabout. It was like a. Uh, I've long wanted to go I know, on a walkabout. Like a team building yeah. exercise. Yeah. So, anyways, some quotes, Time some more quotes. Pocket that for a second. After that, Jack Nicholas shook his head afterwards and said. Is this golf? <laughs> I'm I'm right. <laughs> Is this golf? Do, do you know I only put the ball on the green in regulation four times today? He would later go on to brag that he had 26 putts uh, in his in, in route to 82. Jack Renner, the only one in the field to break par on that Saturday. Uh, quote, it was like murder. George Burns, I just wanted to get out of there without getting hurt. <laughs> Lanny shot a final round 72 to win by five. Only one player, only player to finish under par. He finished at minus five. Uh, Tom Watson shot a final round 71 to finish solo second at even. First person, Lanny Watkins, to finish under par at the Players Championship at Sawgrass Country Club in three years. I mean, listen, there you go. You're you're throwing out the results. We had Jack, Jack, and Lanny. Marquez won the first. Well, and Marquez, so the best yeah. player usually wins. Hey, I mean, at least back then they were they were trying to make it a a real test yeah. instead of just overwatering the shit out of it. And uh, <laughs> Bob Murphy shot 92. Uh, Canadian Dan Halderson shot 89. George Burns was three back going into the final round. He shot 83. Mr. Burns. Trevino and Billy Kratzer both shot 79. 23 players shot in the 80s. Only 32 players broke 300, which was plus 12. Uh, Dean Beeman, commissioner of the PGA Tour, said, I think it's unfortunate that the winds were so severe the last two days because our players are better than their scores showed. They gusted to 45 miles an hour, greens baked out and wouldn't hold shots, and most greens were protected by bunkers in the front. So there was just nowhere to hit it. This is a lot of what we're talking about with the why we're so excited that the players just moved back to March. Yeah. 
this is going to happen again. It wasn't. It wasn't going to happen this year. Yeah. Because I mean, it, it was, was going to be probably the nicest weather of the year. This it was year. The, the week before this year's scheduled event, though, wasn't it? Like super windy. Yeah. Thirty miles. Yeah. yeah. The weekend so. it did get canceled was. I mean, it, was it was 75 really benign. sunny yeah, and gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the week before was gnarly. But it's in play. It's absolutely in play. <laughs> of his Friday 68 and Sunday 72, Lanny said, Though they were two of the best rounds of golf I've ever played in my life. Uh, in the locker room on Saturday afternoon, the early finishers whooped and howled at the TV screen as it presented Nicholas and the others chin deep in the weeds, with the wind <laughs> making their hair look like it was going to be torn from their scalps any second. As Jack worked on his 82, Dave Hill and Fred Marty ripped out the title page of a magazine story called How I Learned to Play Smart Golf by Andy Bean and taped it to the front of Nicholas's locker. Before Nicholas came in, Hill felt guilty about the cruelty of the joke, took it down, and simply handed it to Jack instead, uh, whereas Nicholas went and taped it to the locker himself and proudly announced that he'd only taken 26 putts for his 82. Um, somebody did the math. What uh, Lanny Watkins shooting seventy six on Saturday and not losing a shot to the field could would never did not happen before uh, since Harry Varden. Uh, only three scores of par or better were carded compared to thirty nine scores in the eighties. Scoring average for Saturday and Sunday seventy seven point five and seventy eight point six respectively. Uh, and then so seventy nine is the year the infamous barber chair where Ben Crenshaw, the ringleader, had guys come in, sit down in the chair, go through their 18-hole score, and compile another ringer score like that. Gary Coke, it's hard to describe. It was a great golf course, but to try to play it in that wind just didn't work. You can't describe to modern players how bad the wind was and how difficult we had it with the equipment we were using. I'm sorry, this is Leonard Thompson now. Wood clubs, golf balls, built to go up in the air. No one will believe it. It's like, I think we'll actually, I don't think we'll believe it, but (laughs) Fuzzy Zeller, a horror show. Then maybe my favorite, J.C. Sneed's trademark straw hat blew off as he hit an approach at the par 5 fourth hole. One gust after another carried the hat all the way to the greed, where it hit his ball, resulting in a two shot. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get through it. The rub, the rub of the greed, literally. (laughs) That's epic. Uh, the par four tenth hole, many players couldn't clear the water crossing the fairway for the back tees. They had to hit punch seven irons to the forward tees to hit it over the water. Fuzzy Zeller said, I was stubborn. I was young and dumb. I went up there and hit what I thought was one of the best drives of my life. It one hopped into the hazard. <laughs> <laughs> Hubert Green used a one iron on the par three eighth hole, which played 155 yards. Hubert Green also said, one round there. I had honors on the first tee, shot 79 and still hit first on every hole. And then uh, Roger Maltby said, guys would hit a top flight into the wind in one of those big dimpled titleist downwind. He even uh, believes that the, the players at Sawgrass is what prompted the tour to invoke the one ball rule. Because when Maltby was paired with Sick. Nicholas one day, he dug into his bag and found an old Molitor. He's like, they, he said they were like small bowling balls. I smoked a one iron down the middle. Jack pulled driver and his wound Bellotta McGregor with his uh, wound Bellotta McGregor and it hit that one down the middle. When we got to the to the balls, I was 20 yards past him. Jack refused to believe it at first and then started in how we had to start using the one ball roll. It soon got changed after that. Um, oh, that's a good take. Jackson. That's, that's, that's yeah. scummy. So uh, that pretty much wraps up 79 the next year. That's kind of Neil's MO. What's that? For sure. You've been changing your ball. Yeah. Distance ball is really not a competition. Not only the drive, chip, and putt. That's not... <laughs> That's not and the lefty round. challenge. Huh? Did you not do it? No, no, I play the same ball throughout the lefty challenge. The next year, the wind did not blow a different his type of ball, which you're allowed to do. Yeah. Lee Trevino. That's why it's a ball. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's no, no, I want to I want to know. So, <laughs> yeah. can you play 
Can you switch the you switch the type of ball you play from? Hold on, we got to be very specific with our language. What do you mean by type of ball? Like if you play an ERC soft one round, and then the next round you go out and play a Chrome soft. Yeah, yeah, you can do round to round. Yeah, Yeah. no, not not uh, tournament to tournament. You can do it, not round to round. Oh right, sorry. So within the round, on in professional golf, and so in amateur golf, say I went out there. Sometimes I have a bag full of just. Like Truvis and we don't Chrome Soft one ball, X. The one, ball, one ball rule is not in play. when We're playing recreational rounds. Yeah, I know. But for an amateur tournament, can you only have one type of ball in your bag? Yeah. That's the one ball rule. I never knew that. So we so we probably need to relook at all your, 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 your junior scores. That I, one played a, I haven't played a real tournament since you know, I that, was in ninth grade. That two-shot penalty for asking about club that guy hit? Yeah, that's now four shots, buddy. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. We're learning a lot along the way. That's no, but good. That, see, so, wow. So you can't change. Well, the point is, so you can't do this. So you can't play the Pro V1 yeah. into no, it makes sense. Soft it, into it makes a ton of sense. X. I just never knew that was like a, a I didn't know that was a rule. Yeah. So wild, um, moving on, I'll wrap up here that uh, Le- the wind didn't blow the next year. Lee Trevino won at 10 under. Uh, 1981, a fun nugget. The last year that it was held at Sawgrass Country Club, Ray Floyd won it at minus three. It was supposed to be at stadium that year, but it wasn't ready in time. And a wild nugget I found while prepping for this in that 1981, Floyd won the players and the $72,000 first uh, first prize check. He also won a $250,000 bonus for winning two Florida events in a row. There was a the sponsors put up a bonus that if anyone would win two in a row, they would get a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus. It's like the original Aeon Risk Reward for real. Which win is like a one which is Why like one point seven million dollars back then or something like that. Why would they what's the point? Why to like get people to play the whole stretch, I think. I think oh, it was like a bait, like, hey, if you come play like if you win two of them, we'll give you two hundred and fifty thousand. And he did. Holy which was like four x the whatever the uh the actual prize yeah. for the event. So which reaffirms that three X. Ray Floyd is yeah, Alpha. a menace. Well, in the art, in the he's like, I'd be lying if I wasn't thinking about the money the whole time. They went yeah. to a Monday playoff, three man playoff, and like he was the one with the most money on the line. It's it was it's wild. I've never heard that. Buy more titty bars. <laughs> <laughs> so he went from calling it the worst ever to winning his uh, one of his biggest prizes ever on that course. We could do so. a whole other category about when they moved to TPC Sawgrass as well. Yes, the first year it was over there. It was a bloodbath. So that is the Players Championship at uh, Sawgrass Country Club. Thank you, Solly. Good stuff. Give me the shout wheel. Out. I'm driving. Shout out to JC Sneed for. Did you find saw? Well, what I'm curious yeah. is, I've never seen Sawgrass Country Club. Like, did you find this? No, but it, like in crazy wind with those with that equipment and probably what it looked like back then. I think it's been softened a bunch since then. I think they've redone it a couple times, and it. it I did definitely did not find it that hard. But like they talk about the fifth hole, you tee off from an elevated tee, and I didn't even like realize it in the tournament until after that I, you have to thread it like between a couple OBs that are like 40 yards apart. And I hit driver there and I look back, I'm like, well, I should not have hit driver here. And they had like a 40 mile an hour crosswind on that hole. And it's like, there's just no, like no chance. You where, couldn't find it. Where is it? It's uh, right like across just, the street. From, yeah. It's on the the east side of A1A instead of the west side. Okay. Like, like directly across from TPC. Yeah. I mean, Saul, you got to remember the, like the, the guys now are, but they're better athletes. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you just gotta keep that in mind. For sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, God, that's I want to see video of that guy's hat hit this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you want to hear more about this, the Lanny Watkins pod, we talked some of, uh, like around the 10 minute mark, we talked about the 79 players. So, I'm done. Good stuff. All right. I want to talk about, um, 
All right, listen up. This whole thing is. I want to talk about a nightmare. A quote: A nightmare. Source for this quote is from John Garrity's game piece. Quote: That's pretty much what the 128th Open Championship was from start to finish. A golfer's nightmare. I am talking about the 128th Open Championship presented by Her Majesty, Majesty the, the Queen. Queen. UK Queen. British Open Championship. UK British Open Championship. <laughs> Uh, Garrity's piece is strong to quite strong in the SI vault, so I'd encourage you all to go back. Rick this, Riley's piece. This is 99 we're talking about? 1999. Uh, Rick Riley's piece, this is like when Riley starts to become like, oh, funny guy. <laughs> He's like doing like made up quotes from Vandeveld and his caddy of like, is this the ball? It's in the bird. Oh, I, I, I specifically remember I that. I think piece. I do too. Such a bad piece. Anyway, <laughs> I want to start off by calling out Golf Channel, though. Honestly, between the two pieces you mentioned, I want to read the bad, the bad one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you some quotes from the other one, so you probably don't have to read it. But uh, So Golf Channel, they, I mean, they almost created a very compelling documentary, which I happened to flip on earlier this week about this event. Obviously, it's Vandeveld's collapse. Um, and I know exactly what you're going to say. They, the, but the they dudes in the bar? They decided to in this God. horrible scripted bar scene with these like you know old-timey bartender and the uh, lonely guy <laughs> drinking alone and the and the it's like you know a cheers bar with the little small tv up in the corner he's like hey what's going on up here well, you're not gonna believe it man the guy had a three-stroke lead on the last hole and what he do he choked it away you know it's this horrible 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 scripted bullshit he's this french guy yeah can you believe that Sponsored by Disney Paris, ah, you know it's so bad. It's like, what are you doing? And then they cut back to the, like the good stuff. You forget stuff. about it. Yeah, they're interviewing like it's, it. goes back to like a real documentary, and you're like, oh, this is this is great. And then it comes back. Yeah, do you believe all that? <laughs> it's so, so stupid. So it's clearly a script. So he's got a three shot yeah. lead, and he's teeing off. You gotta think he's not hitting driver, right? And then the right? guy at the bar is like, you know, sitting there like, well, so then what happens then? Well, get this, he takes his shoes off and he gets in the bird. <laughs> What the hell is a burn? It's really bad. So if that comes on, I don't know. Maybe watch it. Maybe watch it. Hey, watch it. Yeah. So obviously, won by Paul R. Let's set the set the stage here. In a playoff over, Jean Ventevel and Justin Leonard. Yes. Uh, so four hole playoff. Uh, Paul R.'s only major championship. Uh, some good quotes in that documentary from Laurie. He was saying. You know, all I was thinking about coming down the the final round was getting. I'm in the Masters. Like he's thinking about Augusta. So, uh, but turns out then Vanderbilt collapses and he ends up. He's winning not it. thinking about getting in the players. No, he's not. He's, he's thinking, thinking about getting, getting out of the Masters. Um, first Scott to win since Scotsman to win the the Open since David Brown, <laughs> Tommy Armour, nineteen thirty one. Really? Yep. Um, I almost said Monty, just like that. <laughs> that was the first thing that popped <laughs> in my head too. I was like, all right, I don't think it was him. Laurie came back from a ten shot final round deficit. Uh, which is the largest deficit ever overcome to win a major? Uh, I which still, it, I believe it still is. I still hate that that is like uh, you know Vandeveld lost that one. Nobody won that. It was like Laurie shot a final around sixty seven. Like yeah, he, played he, he balled out. He made off. like every yeah. putt. Um, and eighteen, he made a crazy par on eighteen. Um, and so then another quote from Garrity's piece: "Quote Carnoustie, which was the last site of the Open, which was the site, sorry, Carnoustie." which was last the site of the Open in 1975 when Tom Watson won the first of his five British titles, is a nasty antique that was brought down from the attic after 24 years. Last week, the holes were longer than they were when Watson won there. The rough was deeper. The Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews, the organization that runs the British Open, 
made the fairways as narrow as an eel's appendix scar. <laughs> the fairways were also ultra firm, allowing balls that landed safely to go looking for trouble, most often in some gravel bottom moat or wall-faced bunker. Quote, I don't think there's an individual in the RNA who could break 100 on these courses, said Phil Mickelson, who shot 79-76 and missed the cut. End quote. <laughs> round leaders by day. First round. Even par. You guys know who it was? Monty. No. Rod Pampling. Oh, who of went, course, the Pamp Wagon. He went 71-86 to Camilo. Full Camilo. Full Camilo misses the cut. Quote, every year there claims to be that course at some major championship that is too severe. But how often does the first round leader fail to survive a 36-hole cut? Also from Garrity's piece. Second round, plus one, Vandeveld leads. Third round, even Vandeveld. He was Final using that, round. that never compromise putter. Remember the black and silver one. BJ used that for a long time too. Final round, plus six, Paul Lari. believe that's the highest. So 290 is the highest four-round total for a major, I guess, since... I think since like World War II or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. other than the 1901 <laughs> situation that we covered earlier. Uh, so that was news to me. God, he was, um, it was other even, notables, though. Vandeville was even leading going into the final round. Vandeville was one. leading the second and third round, and he had a three-stroke lead going into the 72nd hole. So we'll get to that in just a second. We can go over that. But uh, other notables, David Duvall finished plus 22, and he was the uh, lead, leading the money list at the time. 22 bogeys and four doubles in his two rounds. The Scottish Mirror headline, Duvall leads American Fury at Killer Carnoustie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, defending champ Marco Mira shot a first round 83. Other interesting final, um, or the leaderboard at the end, El Pato, uh, plus seven, T4 with Craig Perry. The Shark finishes solo six at plus nine. Uh, what, you guys know where, uh, where the cat finished? I do not. Seventh at plus 10 with DL3 and David Frost. Craig Perry, uh, who I mentioned, finished T4, shot lowest round of the week, 67. Let's see here. So Van- Vandeveld's collapse. Let's, we'll just walk through it in case anybody's forgotten <laughs> because I think Carnage is encapsulated with both. It was, I don't think the event gets enough credit as being just a complete shit show for everybody, but Vandeveld's winning by threes, three over, walks the 72nd hole. Uh, pulls driver. Get this. Says <laughs> post round. He says he thought he only had a two stroke lead, so that's why he pulled driver. So pulls driver hits maybe the the original or the most famous big right miss of all time. <laughs> Blows it over the burn into 17 fairway. Then decides to hit a two iron instead of he could have hit like a 120 yard shot as everybody says laid up right in front of the burn. Another 120 yard shot. He's on. Hits a two-iron off the grandstands, bounces off a rock into the berry burn, and comes to rest in thick, rough 50 yards behind where it hit the grandstands, so behind the burn. And if you just think, if his ball stays in the grandstands, I think it hit off, like, the metal bleachers, he gets TIO relief. He gets a free drop. He gets a free drop there. That's probably what he was going for. Had the ball stayed in the burn, too, wouldn't it? Yeah, he he still would have been. He'd been dropping full much there. better off. Yeah, so he three, so four. he goes and so then he gets back there and he. Hits Can we just say that's like the worst probable rub of the green? <laughs> say this entire in, hole is like yeah in my but that bounce is the worst bounce in our lifetimes. <laughs> yes, it's not it, it, it's not good. So fifty yard comes fifty yards backwards. <laughs> yes, it's not. Good. <laughs> 
Uh, then he hits the like mega D cell. If you watch the the highlights, Chunky Boy Nash into the burn. Just like it, just the most uncommitted. Like it went in the burn. It, it just looked. I mean, it looks like he was aiming for it. It, it seemed like, destined was, at that point. Yeah, like, he was just trying to like, like ah. Uh, can you imagine how poof. quickly how quickly things are moving? Oh my god. <laughs> well, then it, if you watch the footage, it's like. The, like no one, no, it's car, it's chaos. Like people. So then he takes his socks off. He's going to get in there and the camera angle guys like trying to hold people back. They're like, no, what are you doing? Oh my God. You know, ABC did out. a really good job. Like, so when he gets down there in the bar, I think the iconic, <laughs> yeah, the iconic scene is him with his hands on his hips, just like looking around, like smiling, smiling. Yeah. smiling like, for the photograph. Yeah. Like, should I do it? Should I, should I, I'll do it. I'm crazy, man. I'll do it. All right. One guy in the crowd just go, you won't. Yeah. You won't hit it. Uh, so I remember he, at this point, our dad, we're watching this with our dad in Atlanta. And, you know, we're kind of just like really getting into golf at that yeah. point. We're, I'm 13. I think Neil's, Neil's uh, nine years old. And our dad's like, this fucking guy, this French guy, do you believe yeah. this shit? What the hell is he doing? He's like, Peggy, I don't believe this is crazy. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So he decides against hitting it out of the burn because it was full submergio. Like it was underwater. By the time he got in there, it was. But yeah. when he when he started the process, the ball, the, so the it tide did, yeah. rose while he was like thinking about going in there and getting it. So then he gets it out. He drops behind the burn, which honestly helped him. Dumps it, yeah. yeah dumps it in the bunker, and then he gets up and down. He made like a hell of an up and sweet down, sweet ten foot putt, and then gives the big fist pump. And then he goes into the playoff and blows his drive. I think he blows it left, and it has to take it on playable on the first playoff hole. But then he comes back. He birdies seventeen, so he's tied again with uh, with Laurie. And then Laurie makes his birdie, and then he in eighteen, Laurie puts it away. So. Ends up losing it. Larry didn't put it away. He had a four iron from two twenty five to like three feet. Everyone's like, "You don't need. You can lay up here. Like you don't need to hit this shot." So this is shortly after Vandeveld like went for it, and Larry just like hits this four iron in the rain and hits it to like two feet, which is I had totally forgotten about until yeah. watching that documentary. Um, and then uh, Myth, his name was not on the claret jug yet. The uh, the engraver says he was. He always does the. You know, all the year, the course, all that stuff, and then gets the piece of paper once the final putt drops. So that's no. that's a myth. Guys, the wanted, guy is a pro. I just wanted to right. uh, to put that out there. Uh, another quote from our boy Garrity: Golf historians will argue over what happened to Vandeveld on the 18th tee. Some will blame his caddy who failed to dissuade him from using the driver. Others will blame Napoleon who set a bad precedent at Waterloo, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I thought was a great line and was worth mentioning here. And then lastly, just to side. Just to kind of uh, sum up the tournament itself, quote, some blame the wind, but the wind was was normal for Tayside, a persistent 15 to 25 miles per hour with an occasional toupee lifting gust. In such conditions, the ideal, the ideal shot is usually described as one played under the wind. And then this quote, Randy, I know you're going to love this. <laughs> Christ, they don't know how, they don't know what a low ball is, muttered Carnoustie's feisty greenkeeper, John Phillip, as he watched the world's best players struggle with link-style golf. We used to call them daisy cutters. This is old style, the natural style. Phillips was pleased with the scores, which ranged far upwards from the playoffs, from the playoff trio's six under six over par two ninety, the the highest winning total at any major since Jack Nicklaus's two ninety in nineteen seventy two U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. End quote. I think part of it was the. I, I do love that quote. Yeah, yeah. Feisty baby. Yeah. They, they hadn't had the Open at Carnoustie since 
75. 75. So it's an antique they pulled out of the attic. Yeah, it was such a fresh look at like, holy shit, this is cool. Yeah. So, um, which to that greenskeeper's point, I don't believe any of that. Like pros are so good at adapting like week of to the style of play. They don't know what a low ball is, Sally. Yeah, I I kind of don't want to believe that. What was his name? Uh, John Phillip. I'm curious what he would have shot. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) John Uh, Phillip Sousa. Um, so that's it. Yeah, I have a I have a bit of Paul Laurie trivia. How many more times did, or I would say, how many total European Tour wins did Paul Laurie have? Six. Okay, close. Five. <laughs> Eight. The last of his wins was the Open Championship. Actually, th- this was a Sunshine Tour win, oh. but this was the la- his last professional win. 2017 Dimension Data Pro Am, mm, which yeah. you've constantly shit on. Yeah, I, we, Sounds like you're making his case. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, I've. I think there's an interesting discussion, and the answer is probably obvious, but I don't know. Would you rather be John Vandeveld and live forever as the guy who blew the open, or Paul Laurie, or, or Paul Laurie, who no one like, no one remembers? I was impressed by Laurie's interviews on the documentary. So, he was committed to like, I, yeah, I won this thing. Yeah, and he was, he was, he seems like pretty interesting, interesting cat. Uh, but I, I, I hear what you're saying, Randy. I'm just saying one will have a legacy that's gonna far out outlast the other. Well, did you guys talk about the open with him on the trap draw? You did. We did. Yeah, we're we're pro, we're journalists. Yeah. <laughs> Any anything that sticks out? Yeah, he said he got knockered. The clubhouse afterwards on a really yeah. nice bottle of wine Did he? that yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he had to have drank between the 18th hole and the playoff because he was like 45 minutes late to the playoff. They said that document. He went and like changed his clothes and like redid his hair, took his hat off. He needed a minute. Yeah, I think we, we all would need. We a minute. didn't want to scrape open sure. the obvious wounds. Uh, we tried to be respectful, but yeah, also probing as the journalist. I fought him are. for a few holes on the Champions Tour in I guess 2016 at the Toshiba down in Newport. And he was carrying like this leather, leather staff bag, and he was swaggy, man. He's got I a like, great vibe. Yeah, he had a great vibe. I mean, two and, things that suck about this: Paul Laurie being like forgotten as a winner, and also how well Jean Vandeveld played. Yeah. He's like viewed as a, like an idiot for like a really horrible bounce and some questionable decision making. Let's be honest, but seventy-one holes of that golf course, like dominant, is just like completely forgotten. He just is seen as like this buffoon, and it's not the case really at all. It's an interesting question, Randy. Honestly, the way he's handled it, I don't it think it's an open and shut case. For, is for, more impressive than I think a lot of people would have handled. Like his perspective yeah. on it is like it's a golf. You get tournament. another video. It's like this weird art. It's on yeah. YouTube. Lose, it's like, called Losers. No, well that sucked. Where he plays oh. like Netflix thing. Yeah, that wasn't very that good. Was but terrible. no, he did this like weird kind of like avant garde art piece where he tries to. What did he? So what did he make on the whole seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tries to make six with just his putter. putter. He did it in yeah. a commercial. Yeah, yeah. So I think he does. Right. Yeah, he does. Yeah. The other thing that sticks out to me in the podcast we did with him, he lost the 20, the 2005 French Open to his friend Jean-Francois Remessy, who he said he's completely mad. He's mad. <laughs> he's mad. Remessy made double bogey on that hole to win the playoff. Oh. And then... And then uh, yeah, maybe I'd rather be Paul Lowry. Vandeveld uh, lost one other career uh, PGA Tour playoff. At the 2000 Reno Tahoe Open, 
Assume to J.J. Henry. Shall we do an honorable mention just to cover off for anyone that gets mad about things we didn't talk about? 74 U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Hale Irwin won that at 7 over. Sounds like the Pebble Beach one at the 72 Pebble Beach with the 290 tied six for over, okay. yeah. 6 over. A 92 Pebble Beach sounded like it was... That was mayhem. Angel Cabrera won at Oakmont in 07 at 5 over par, and Jeff Ogilvy won at Wingfoot in 2006 at 5 over par. What was Zach Johnson at the Masters? He was one over. One over. So that was uh, that was the highest, worst score. Um, so the Paul Laurie was the highest for the Open Championships in 1970. The two, we had the, those two U.S. Opens and the, and the Hale Irwin were the the four worst scores in relation to par. Two of them being at Wingfoot uh, since 1970 in majors. Worst field scoring average in a major since '95. 99 British at 76.82. 07 Masters 75.88. 07 U.S. Open, 75.7, and 2000 U.S. Open, 75.35. The one where Tiger Woods broke the scoring record <laughs> for most under par was the fourth highest field scoring average in a major since 95. Whoa. <laughs> the 07 Masters was the highest at Augusta since 66, and is the only time since 75 that the field averaged 75 or higher for the week. For comparison, 2019 was the easiest that's ever played at 71.87. So that's something that kills me about Zach Johnson being the one, the most vociferous one to bitch about winged foot a couple years ago, where that would Shinnecock, seem to, yes. or, or uh, Shinnecock, that would seem to suit his game. Yeah, I just think he couldn't hold the greens because he couldn't get enough spin. Couldn't he spin? <laughs> they lost it. One, the last non-major... Win on the PGA Tour with a score over par was the 81 Byron Nelson. That was Bruce Litsky. Uh, Bay Hill this year was won at four under, the worst winning score in a non-major in a tour event in nearly six years. The 2014 Quicken Loans, minus four, Justin oh, Rose. That was that awesome. I don't remember that. Guys, um, the Bay Hill this year was such a joy to watch. <laughs> it was great. So, And those stats are all courtesy of Mr. Justin Ray. We reached out to him for some uh, support on this. Bottom so. line, like... Give us some hard setups and challenge these guys every once in a while. If you want some good quotes, you're going to get them. And, yeah. and the it, viewers think, like it. I think every once in a while is the yeah. is the compromise there. It does, does need to be every exactly. week. Exactly. We should have done Quill Hollow that one year, too, where they lost the greens. Derek oh, Ernst year. That was, gosh. That wasn't awesome. carnage, though. No, but it was a different kind of carnage. And the guys with, like showed up and withdrew. Like Ian Poulter, I think, withdrew once he got there. The guys like chipping over different spike marks and stuff on the green. It was sick. Randy, so. are you pro that or or anti that pro like pro the greens looking like shit yeah they can look like whatever Everybody, everybody's got volume right exactly <laughs> so with, with that we will wrap our carnage pod uh thank you everyone for tuning in excellent research by the team if i may say so mm. myself thank you and all. uh keep sending ideas for us for these deep dive pods because we are gonna run out of them so cheers Rock. oh he's a roofer <laughs> <laughs> Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.